and they come to work happy. You know, they're pumped to be there. We're, we're using good produce. We have a great kitchen. Um, it's a joy to come to work, really. I mean, it's sort of, uh, if anything could have, you know, after sort of traveling around, I've, I've sort of found sort of my calling to sort of stay in this area, I would say. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Restaurants in wineries are very special, particularly in Australia, where they've become a real feature of what it means to dine regionally. What does it take to deliver an award-winning regional restaurant within the confines of a winery? Dan Gedge is the head chef of Lewin Estate in WA. Dan, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you today? Good. Uh, you've been over there in the role for a couple of years now, but really sort of uh, hit the main stage this year with some accolades. What's what's it been like? Um, yeah, sort of. It's. Um, I guess it's like everything in life. Sometimes it all it's all sort of seems to be happening at once. But um, I came over. I've been in Australia for uh, um, almost eleven years um, at Luna State now for almost five. Um, and it's yeah, I mean, it, it's an amazing place to work, but it just sort of feels really in the last couple of years that you know, for me and the team, we've sort of really gelled, I think, and um, and also just, I mean, there's there's been huge changes in the industry and uh, I guess around the world, but um, in this last couple of years, sort of um, hate to say, but since since COVID and everything that happened there, I mean, I think that's it's really defined us as a, as a restaurant, I think. Um, and it, it, the last couple of years have been incredible. Take us through uh, winning winning the award. Um, what did it feel like being named Chef of the Year? Um, well, it, was a bit, it, was, it was a surprise, really. I mean, a lot of people said to me, oh, you know, you must have had some sort of idea, but um, I really didn't, you know. So it was... Uh, um, at one point there was a, a request for, uh, you know, a picture or, you know, or whatever it was, but, you know, a few of my friends had the same sort of request. So I, I didn't want to sort of look too much into it or manifest something that might not, um, sort of be there. So we didn't really think, you know, we just, um, so I went along with my wife and, and, um, some of the kitchen team and front of house team and stuff. And, you know, we we're having a, we we're having a great time sort of sitting through the award ceremony and, you know, um, just sort of fingers crossed really that the restaurant, you know, may sort of climb the ladder a little or, you know, and then for, um, just sort of the moment where, you know, uh, they're, they're introducing the sort of regional chef of the year and they start talking about a British chef and someone that, you know, seafood cookery and working for Rick Stein and stuff. And I, it still wasn't really clicking with me, you know, <laughs> until a few people behind me, like my wife started, you know, grabbing my neck and, you know, a few people, you know, started poking me and stuff. And I was like, all oh, right, okay, I think he's actually talking about me. I'd prepared no speech whatsoever <laughs> so it was uh you know i had to just sort of get up there and wing it and you know it was pretty emotional actually I'd, because i didn't sort of see it coming um yeah i don't know i was um it, it doesn't happen very often i'm lost for words but there i was uh i managed to pull a, a very short speech off and thank everyone but um it was uh it was uh, pretty amazing and, and nice to, to to be recognized i guess on a sort of personal level but as i said on the night i guess it's very much uh, goes to me and the team that sort of prop me up um sort of every day and you know kind of help us um help me sort of uh transfer my ideas into dishes and and so on so i mean it was uh, yeah it was an incredible night tell, tell us a bit about um the restaurant and and margaret river too and the region and how you connect with the producers um yeah i mean for me it's sort of it margaret river um 
from from the day that I arrived, it reminded me, reminds me, or still does remind me, very much of um, uh, sort of the Cornwall coast. You know, very rugged and sort of sort of small town, and uh, you know, surfing and all the things that go with it. Obviously, a lot warmer and um, sort of uh, you know, there's there's lots of differences. But um, sort of being close to the coast for me was was very much a, a draw card in coming. You know, I, I love seafood cookery, and um, so you know, first and foremost, when I arrived, it was you know to tick boxes you know sort of the wine country um you know the caliber of the restaurants you know the the seafood the produce um so for us at the restaurant at Lewin, i mean i guess working within a winery is um it's very different as a, as a chef and i think first of all it took me a while to sort of understand you know um you know wine is at the forefront of everything we do and and, and rightly so you know Lewin estate um is an incredible place built by the Horgan family which you know um, it, it's all about wine you know the restaurant came after and you know our job um, you know my job uh, and the teams is to create food which matches perfectly to the wine and actually showcases the wine in its best possible form you know each year um, which is obviously it's it's an ever-changing um, evolution so um, we start our sort of creative process you know very different to other chefs I suppose whereas we start you know we put the bottles of wine in front of us first and you know this is what we've got to do we taste and then it's you know what's in season you know it, rarely do we start with a protein I mean sometimes in you know in other restaurants I've worked we're like oh you know I've got an idea for a duck dish um, let's just get it on and then you sort of you go through the wine list or the sommelier goes for a huge cellar and there's guaranteed a few bottles that can 100% go well with the dish you've created no matter what uh, with us it's a bit more restrictive but also kind of makes you know you have to be a bit more creative sometimes you know the wine I, i'm very lucky to work for you know for an estate there where the wines are you know uh, are amazing so um so we start the creative creative process that way we work with um tim lovett who's our um, head wine maker who's you know incredible um does magic you know out there and um so for us we start that way and we we have to get it right you know there's you know a certain amount of wines that we we produce and each year the job is to you know not sort of get it so it's an okay match you know it needs to be it needs to be spot on so we start with the wine then the veg in season and then we try and match it if it needs a protein or it doesn't that that's kind of the way that we work um yeah so it's a very interesting process has the process changed the way you cook um I would say yes. I think it's just the more, you know, I've been there five years now and it's sort of, you know, every time that we taste the Chardonnay, for example, it's, you know, my mind is drawn to a certain place. I mean, generally, um, um, I mean, I, I think the winery has changed the way I cook and I think also, you know, the country. I mean, it was it was a learning curve moving to Australia from the UK where at the time, uh, before I moved here, I was head chef of a place where we were doing sort of, we went sort of hardcore into the, um, British cookery and Fergus Henderson style nose to tail and all that and sort of coming here I really it was nice to take a step back out of the head chef role and really um, sort of try and learn about I've been around Australia a bit but you know what people how they eat and what they like to eat and so on and obviously I like to showcase the way that I cook to people but it's also about trying to read your customer base sometime I think and I think at the winery it's very <clears throat> excuse me, not um, reading your, your your sort of customer base, but understanding the reason that they're coming. You know, they're there first and foremost um, uh, to, to try the wines and experience the estate. So in the experience that we're, we're creating, I mean, um, 
again, the way, the way that I cook now is is very wine focused, I would say. You know, as soon as I taste a certain ingredient or it's a, a certain time of year with a stone fruit or some or, you know, whatever it may be or macadamia nuts, I'm also I'm immediately thinking of Chardonnay or, you know, with uh, some sort of Asian flavor with some raw fish or scallop, I'm drawn to our Riesling or, you know, so it's uh, it certainly has changed the way um, that I cook. That's that's for sure. You're originally from the UK. Whereabouts did you grow up and what sort of role did food play in your um, youth? Um, well, the uh, I guess for me it was uh, it's a funny one really because no one in my family was involved in food at all. So I grew up in London, um, you know, working class sort of, you know, Cockney family living in the east end of London. Um, food was very simple. Um, you know, my parents separated quite early and I spent a lot of time um, at either at my grandma's or living at my grandma's and my mum was one of seven. Um, so it was a very busy house as a, as a, as a kid. Um, pretty much the only time that sort of people really got together around a table if possible because there were so many people was on a Sunday and you know food uh, for me as a kid food seemed more of a necessity than a sort of you know an occasion um, thing really you know my grandma always had I mean I guess when you're feeding all of her kids that although they'd moved out were still there eating every day it seemed you know my uncles um, and it could be their partners or friends or so Traditionally, in our, my grandma's house, you'd probably find either a almost an Irish-style beef stew, regardless of time of year, sort of like a, col- a cauldron just cooking away on the on the stove there with probably you know five or six loaves of bread next to it for people just to come in and you know and and, and eat and fill their stomach. You know, it's it's really it's really like that. You know, and um, it's funny I laugh about it sometimes. I'm pretty sure sometimes that cauldron stayed on the stove for two or three days and just got warmed up. You know, it never went in the fridge. I don't know. I don't know how some of us survive now and I look at kind of like you know basic food hygiene over, over the years but um we're all still here um, but um yeah I mean I didn't come from that my dad was a mechanic um all of my uncles were either in trades and you know I you know even sort of as I came into my teen years and stuff you know a lot of my friends um no one was involved in hospitality in hospitality at all. So, um, for me to find a path into it was was really surprising. I think for everyone, you know, myself included. You know, in, in saying that, um, I did used to, you know, as a, as a kid. Now, sort of, I look back, um, you know. If, uh, either in my like you know my parents home or you know with my grandma everyone had to chip in doing something whether it was dishes or so you know for me I sort of always found it easy I was interested in food but I always found it easier to help mum or grandma peeling parsnips on a Sunday or peeling the potatoes you know old school peeler of a you know newspaper down over the table that's how they used to do it and just you know for me that was um you know, that, that was easier than having to do dishes um, or, or wash up or dry up. So I took the easy route, you know, but there was an interest, you know, my sister, I used to ask a lot of questions. My sister wasn't interested. She'd prefer to, you know, and um, so when I look back now, I sort of think, well, there was a bit of an interest and, you know, um, as a teen, um, sort of uh, moving out of my mum's place quite sort of early and going to live with my dad somewhere else, you know, he wasn't much of a cook, you know, he's pretty much a, a toast man or sort of, um, you know, just go out and grab something, like really, it was, uh, so I kind of looked, I learned to cook a little, you know, um, and, you know, I'd say sort of, I, I could look after myself, I was I was interested enough and I was hungry enough, I mean, as a kid, um, there was always a common joke as, for me from being really young to even in my teens of, you know, um, just eating a ridiculous amount of food like I, I probably should have been uh, twice the size of you know what I am but um 
it was just a common question, you know, do your family feed you? Have you got worms? Have you got hollow legs or whatever? I was, you know, I was just had an insatiable appetite. So it was, you know, I, if food was good, I would eat it. And then I'd be sort of eyeing up what everyone else wasn't eating or, you know, I just, I just ate and ate. Um, which, so, you know, there was, there was obviously a spark there somewhere, um, you know, which was, you know, which was, uh, which was good. Where did you start your career as a chef? Um, well, I started... Um, again, it's complete, complete um, surprise, really. I, I moved from London. You know, I was uh, pretty sort of rough upbringing around there and, you know, sort of growing up. And um, I had an uncle that was living in Cornwall. And <clears throat> when I was 16, I went to visit. Um, loved it. Had a great few weeks in the summer. Came back to the um, to London. Was, you know, nothing was happening. I sort of dropped out of school a bit early and tried to do do a couple of different things it wasn't really working so I had no direction I didn't know what I was doing um and just before my 18th birthday my uncle um just said to me you know what are you doing down there just you you know if you don't know what to do why don't you just come down here um spend some time get a job in the summers you know it's a it's a real tour you know Cornwall's uh, a sort of very touristy destination so very seasonal summertime jobs and it was like come and have some fun get a simple job and there's a spare room at the house and so on. So I went down there just to go and, you know, spend a summer. Um, so I landed up um, arriving at Rick Stein's restaurant um, for a kitchen hand job, you know, for washing dishes. And um, and I've, I've said this to Rick before. I had no idea who Rick Stein was at the time, although he had a TV, he had a TV show, a couple of books, you know, a few restaurants and all this stuff happening around this town. I had no idea, you know. I'd, at that time in my life, again, as I said, cooking shows what was there wasn't a huge thing on the TV. None of my friends were into that. You know, um, we wasn't foodies in any way, like a foodie family. So sort of moving to that restaurant, I had no idea who he was. Um, went into a, a job in the, you know, in the kitchen there as a, as a kitchen hand. And, you know, um, it was a very, very busy restaurant. Obviously, he's sort of one of the pioneers of seafood in the, in the UK. But I sort of... Um, come to realize pretty quickly again it sort of links back to the sort of grandma's house peeling vegetables that we used to have uh, you know it used to be 100 covers for lunch 140 for dinner and um there used to be three kitchen hands on one sort of in the sink one on the machine and one person running around and helping the chefs and doing food prep and and stuff so for me it was i used to try and get that position some of the other guys didn't want it you know they'd rather just be you know hung over in the corner where they didn't have to do anything and i'd uh, i'd sort of be like well you know give me the bags of spinach the big bunches of spinach to pick and then you know 50 kilo of mussels and whatever and you know i just jumped on that side of things i'd rather be peeling onions and stuff you know probably for what i thought was taking the easy route but um and um yeah i don't know that that sort of came natural um i sort of realized as well pretty soon you know i was just turned 18 that you know by looking after the chefs and prepping and making sure they had the right pans and you know the trays they needed during service and stuff as well there was always plates of food or pots of food and stuff coming over and generally coming in my direction which was always uh, which was always good and you know, it's one of those things, you know, there's an order misfired or whatever it is, or, you know, someone's cooked a, too much, you know, too many portions of mussels or whatever it was, always came over to us, we took it out of the back. And, and for me, it was, it was mind blowing. I'd, I'd never eaten a, you know, I was 18 years old. I'd never eaten a bowl of mussels. I'd never eaten a risotto. Um, I'd never seen half the stuff, you know, a roast tranche and a turbot with hollandaise sauce that, you know, is, is wrong order and someone puts it out of the back there. I'd never seen it. Had no idea what any of it was. So to actually start eating that at the time was, you know, for me was, yeah, I don't know. I think that sort of just opened so many, I don't know, I was 
yeah, I was blown away really. And I think the chefs, well, definitely one chef who had a huge part of my, um, you know, my introduction to the career as well was, uh, Stefan Delorme, who was the sous chef there at the time. Um, and he's been the head chef and now group chef for over 20 years. Um, so he, he sent something, I guess, that I'd be eating different things. He'd be bringing over, you know, pans of, the, you know, had bouillabaisse in there and whisk some rui in and bring it over to me and say, you know, taste that, see what you think. And, you know, giving me mussels. He gave me my first oyster that sort of almost, you know, almost choked on and, you know, which I'm pretty sure. Um, so he was very instrumental in that sort of thing. He, he, they, they could tell that I liked food. And like I say, it was all about back scratching, I suppose. And I learned quite early on how to um, sort of get into it. And I think I was just drawn, I think, as a lot of people sort of say, you know, I had no direction in life. So to walk into a kitchen was, you know, to sort of see, um, you know, the structure and, you know, all in, you know, discipline and just that, that very structured hierarchy and, and things like that is exactly what I needed. I needed to sort of immerse myself into something. So, you know, I, lo- I love the sort of, you know, this, uh, y- at the time I could feel it you could feel like a kitchen just sort of winding up from you know seven in the morning until 11 as it was drawing close to service and you know this sort of like pressure pot kind of thing you know even from our side um and I was kind of drawn to it I think you know didn't mind the long hours and and um yeah uh, from there um it's all about lucky breaks I suppose they saw that I didn't mind working with vegetables and then there was a bit of short staffing happening and a few bits and pieces and it was they were short someone um in the kitchen, they needed someone to do a mousse bouche at night times. They'd, they'd set it all up. I would do the dishwashing in the daytime, and then at nighttime, I'd just I'd have one job, you know, just send out one amuse bouche. You know, obviously the chef that was normally there would do multiple things, but they just needed someone just to just to do that. Um, and you know, for me, then it was sort of like you know, the head chef told me how important that job was. The first thing that a customer sees is that small amuse bouche, and and so on and so forth. You know. Off came the blue kitchen porter outfit, and on came an oversized white, you know, <laughs> white coat. You know, and I, I was stoked. I was like, you know, it was for me. It was next level at the time. It was, you know, I was completely out of my depth, and probably shouldn't have been wearing a white jacket, but they they put one on me, um, and that really that was it. That was that was a spark, and then from there, uh, you know, um, it just progressed really from there on on. Um, work-based training and and um yeah started cook, cooking started from the ground up rick stein's influence is uh, is global and there aren't many people that don't know who he is these days but do you have any stories of what it was like working with him i feel really privileged actually to have spent time there especially um for people before me um he would have been in the kitchen a lot more but when i first started out he was uh sometimes wearing a jacket he was always on the past but he was tasting watching um you know he was um you know he he was around and um for for me at the time there to um to work there um yeah it was amazing i mean it was a very humbling thing um not only for myself because i started there but just to, to look now at the chef's that were working in the kitchen at the time when I started as a commie, you know, the current head chef of, you know, um, the Fat Duck and Dinner by Heston. And uh, you could go on, Nathan Outlaw was there as um, as a um, as a junior sous chef. Um, you know, the calibre in the kitchen was was amazing. And for me to sort of just be, you know, a commie in there at the time of, you know, just, you know, as a dishwasher a few weeks before and suddenly you're surrounded by all these guys was, you know, it was pretty inspiring and also terrifying, you know. It just, I kind of realised how quickly I had to, um, 
to uh, to start moving and, and get up there with these guys, really. But um, working with Rick, I mean, for everyone that came into that kitchen, I think you had you could see chefs that come from great backgrounds come in to work for Rick and they were there for a year or two from all over the world, Australians particularly when I, um, when I first started. And it was to just come and learn as much as you can. He was like, you know, you could put him into a similar category to like Josh Nyland. Now everyone wants to go and learn. At the time, Rick was, it was a hundred percent seafood restaurant using all of, you know, the, the best produce that you could possibly see. So you'd arrive at the restaurant after cooking a few scallops where you'd worked before and fill it in the odd fish. And you thought, I'm pretty comfortable with seafood cookery. And you'd arrive in that kitchen and you'd just be, you know, everyone was just like, I don't know, completely in the shit, really. You'd never, you know, you'd never, you'd never seen the amount of produce that used to come through that door whole. Um, you know, the amount that we used to spend every day, but, you know, langoustines from Scotland and gooseneck barnacles coming from Spain and you know there was a thing at the time that Rick you know he'd built his business by supporting local fishermen and it was kind of like you know within reason if these certain guys come come into the kitchen back door they're licensed boats but if they come in and say right you know we, we've got all this sea bass and they've just caught it you take it you know you, you take that you know regardless so it could be 11 o'clock at night and you'd hear, hear a couple of guys coming down the back stairs and you know there'd be these guys with you know you know 100 150 kilo crabs and lobster and stuff that would need to be packed away and uh, and but you took it the restaurant was that busy that you you turn that over in a couple of days you know so it was um yeah it was it was insane i think for um and for for rick as well i mean i got funny stories with rick as well i mean um he he is as you see i mean if you've seen any of rick um uh cooking on the tv i mean everyone's like you know how is he to work for is he like that or is that his sort of tv thing but that's him he's 100 percent genuine um incredible palette um i don't know just just uh working for him was 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 a privilege really um i have to say one funny story that i've got of him would be he was never really one of those angry chefs although i've seen him have his moments but there was one time when he was on the pass and um we're cooking you know friday night service 140 covers the menu's huge heaps of chefs you know 15 16 chefs on the service um and um you know, he's tasted a, a sauce on the past. We used to do, you know, you could have crab in three ways, Singapore chili crab boiled with mayo, like different things. Anyway, tasted a sauce, was extremely unhappy with it, um, and then made everyone in the kitchen stop. So like at 8 p.m., everyone stopped. He took his jacket off like he's, you know, he's wearing like a pink Ralph Lauren shirt underneath or something, wandered into, wandered into the kitchen, and he's like, right, everyone stop, you know, you know, get around this bench now. So made a whole kitchen team watch him cook a Singapore chili crab from scratch, which took about 10 minutes. Obviously, the prep was there, but, you know, by the time he got everything together. Um, at this time, the docket machines are screaming, you know, just like unloading with, you know, everyone's like, but he's like, I want focus from everyone right now. So we all watch. He cooks it pours it into a bowl we, you know we watch how it is everyone has to taste it and then and then we go back to work so i was like for me that stands out as like one of the as i said to everyone in the kitchen can you ever think of a more a more memorable singapore chili crab than that i don't know it's like it was, a, it was a such such a moment you, you um got some recognition and made a name for yourself with uh, custard dining rooms uh, what was that like um well, I, that was for me. I mean, I, I kind of made a thing, um, sort of climbing up through, um, sort of at Steins. I mean, it was it was a bit of a whirlwind, really. I guess I went from, you know, being a, a commie chef to senior sous chef at the restaurant in, you know, under eight years, um, and I, I just made it a thing that I wanted to. I I had a look at. Um, 
you know, the, the industry and, and the people around me. And I, I always felt that I was somewhat behind because, you know, I'd started at 18, 19. And um, I just made it a, a mission to try and be a head chef by the time I was 30. So, I mean, within the restaurant, they always chase the next person's job, really. I looked as, as a commie chef, I looked at, you know, the demi chef, what are they doing that I'm not? How can I get there? Um, what can I do? And then just to make it the natural, if someone left, I'd be the natural replacement. And, and it went on like that until um, senior sous chef. And then, you know, the thing I found working for Steins, which, you know, at the time I felt sort of quite restricted. I think I sort of had a creative side that wanted to come out, but um, obviously customers are coming there to eat Rick's food and uh, and not mine. So you, you very much stick to um, Rick's recipes and Rick's things. So um, I sort of got to a point there where I felt confident. I was running the kitchen. Um, it was probably too early, but there was an opportunity to come and, and run a restaurant, um, which would be the complete opposite British food um, um, you know, and, 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 and do something a bit different. So, um, uh, I jumped at it. Um, and, um, yeah, it was, it was to do something. I, I felt that I was lacking, you know, um, knowledge of meat, um, and, and other aspects of cookery. So I sort of went full reverse and went from cooking everything that could possibly come from the ocean to trying to cook every tail, ear, um, liver, kidney or whatever that you could find on, on an animal. So, um, we went full and, and that restaurant was, you know, it was, uh, it was really, really hard work. I mean, um, it was, a, it was a great little place and I think our small team did, um, but we were open, you know, breakfast, uh, 11s lunch, afternoon tea, dinner, um, seven days a week. It was just, you know, it was, and it was busy, a, a busy, busy joint. I mean, to put it into any sort of context, well, we didn't even have a call room. So it was, um, we just had like, a, no, we had a heap of, we do like, you know, 70 or 80 for breakfast, same for lunch and, you know, maybe a hundred for dinner. And it was pretty much, you know, we, we could, we could never get ahead of ourselves. We're, you know, vegetables and stuff are coming in and, and different things. And you pretty much had to almost, other than the really, you know, herbs and other stuff, you kind of had to prep from the crates, you know, to a certain point. You, you couldn't pack it away. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, and we were just, you know, working day by day. So in there, first thing in the morning, just trying to get through these prep lists and, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. I mean, I think we did some very good, good food. Like say we, we managed to get, um, rosettes and, you know, we, got sort of recognized in the um which was quite nice you know to you know we never got a michelin star or anything like that but we got mentioned in the guides like hardens and in the michelin guide and stuff like that which for me was uh considering the size of the team and and how we were working um I, for me was uh felt like a huge achievement um and from that one i mean i think i sort of you know not but not burning out but four years of that i was you know we we um we did our own laundry we were uh, we had our own little van we used to have to drive all our garbage away and do it like we were we were everything we were, i was the head chef and you know my partner at the time was a restaurant manager and we we ran it from start to finish you know and um i think for me it was one of the sort of main reasons I came to Australia, to be honest, is I sort of finished there and I thought, you know, I'm 30 years old. This is the last opportunity I've got to possibly get to Australia and um, I need to look at something else, not another industry, but I need to, you know, um, almost I, I wanted to come and drop back a little bit and actually start learning again. You know, after being a first head chef, you feel obviously you are very much responsible for everything and being the teacher to everyone um, around you. So um, I was quite happy to come and do something else and um, sort of get out of the UK for a bit. Why Australia? Um, well, I'd, I'd visited once before um, uh, years ago, just I'd been to Thailand and then I came over and visited a friend in Sydney for a couple of weeks. 
and I really liked it, you know, and, and I've, I'd worked with a lot of Australians over the years and um, Cornwall was, was full of um, Aussies years ago, you know, when the, the pound was a lot stronger and, and, and so on. Um, and um, I'd always made it a thing that I travelled a, a bit as, you know, um, around the world and I'd always sort of thought I'd love to go and do a year in Australia and every year there was always something else coming up and um, and then there was the cutoff point, you know, you couldn't get a working holiday visa um after you were 30 years of age. So at the time there, I'd separated with my partner. We'd just sold a house. Um, I had money in the bank, had finished the job. And I was like, you know, what am I going to do? I was almost going to go and take another job somewhere, a head chef or this or that. And in the end, I just thought, now's the time to do it. You know, there's no ties, um, you know. So I just put all my stuff into storage and, you know, sort of came over here for a year, which has turned into 11. <laughs> so I've, I've never, well, I returned once to empty the storage unit and pretty much give it all away or sell what I possibly could. But I pretty much gave most of it away. Um, and yeah, I've sort of haven't looked back really. I've, I've been here ever since and now I'm married and, you know, two kids here and sort of no real um, desire to leave. Take us um, down to the kitchen of where you are at the moment. And uh, is there a dish or two you can tell us about that sort of exemplifies what you're doing there? Um, well, I think we, uh, we're still... Well, I'd like to think, you know, we, we produce a lot of white wine out of the estate as well. So for me, it's perfect because I think the owners know of my love of the sea and, you know, uh, and the sort of bounty that comes from there. So um, we produce a couple of reds, which is which is perfect that I can balance those with other things. But, you know, we produce an a incredible range of Chardonnay and Riesling and Sauvignon Blanc and so on. Um, so um, a couple of dishes. Um, at the moment, we've got... Um, it was a dish, um, it just sounds like one of those, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but was, so we've got these incredible scallops from, uh, from Esperance. Um, and um, we've got a garden which is, you know, it's, it, needs a bit, it needs a bit of TLC, but we've got stuff growing in our garden, lots of herbs and bits and pieces and figs and lemons and so on and um, lots of horseradish. And, you know, there was a time when I wandered down and um, we were, I was, I was looking for some inspiration for something to do with scallops, you know. And then, you know, we've got some sort of bronze fennel there. We've got some horseradish. We've got some lemon. We've got elderflower. All this stuff grown together. So we actually have a dish on the menu of just sort of cultured cream with heaps of horseradish. For I'm a big fan of must stem back to those roast beef days or whatever it is. But I'm kind of a bit of a um, horseradish fanatic. But we do like a, a nice cultured cream, lots of horseradish and some mayo lemon zest through it. Um, beautiful little scallops that have been brined and then just dressed in mayo lemon juice um we've got sort of bronze fennel from the garden elderflower vinegar um and we do some uh, some kohlrabi which has just been lightly pickled in uh, juiced apple um juiced apples um some horseradish oil and it just works it's so simple i think that sort of comes back to the rick stein thing i mean you know it was always drilled into us that you you take four or five ingredients one of them being you know this piece of incredible fish or prawn or whatever it may be um it doesn't need much you know it needs a few good things to help it along its way i, I remember once he gave a you know the of um uh i think after a few wines possibly that the piece of fish the piece of fish was mick jagger and everything around it was the rest of the stones kind of thing you know ones you know <laughs> you know depends how you, where you hold mick jagger in your uh, sort of thing but he, uh, you know he said they all complement each other you know and one is nothing without the other and so on and so forth but you know sort of just uh and uh, um, I've, I've always taken something from that, I think, and just, you know, uh, I, there's a few, you know, we manipulate a few ingredients, but we just try and 
try and show a purity of ingredient um i think is important um and that's that's our winemakers i've, I've taken that from the winemaker as well he's constantly going on about um uh, his wines he still wants there for everything that there is and all of the stuff that you know the the barrels that they may use all the different processes something that must stay would be purity of fruit you know and that's something he wants you to sort of taste the terroir and you know and um and be and and for the chardonnay to be recognizable as luana state and to still taste you know what has come from the vineyard so we try and sort of keep that um which you know it makes sense to follow that ethos into the kitchen you know follow what you know his beliefs um and they align with mine perfectly with rick's and you know whenever we cook seafood um or any of the dishes we i try and make that sort of our uh if we have an ethos it would be that you know is to sort of um, make the ingredients shine uh try your bit you know try not to overpower things with adding too many you know whether it be garnishes or whatever and just um and just let it stand out really well you've uh, built a, a life down down under and um you know and one of the main voices in food in wa now as well what do you love about what you do um I just I I've, I mean I still you know I'm I'm still on the tools uh, some of the times at the moment you know so I'm still I still very much love cooking I mean a lot of the time I'm I love the floating role that I have which uh, allows me to still jump in and help the guys out and prep and whether I'm a help or a hindrance who knows <laughs> you know so, uh, do my best to uh, to keep my hand in there because you know that is what I love I mean um, the thing about being here which. I guess I love as well as being, you know, Margaret River always held something for me as well, where I spoke to friends years ago and um, that told me what an amazing place it was. Um, you know, the beaches, the surf, the, you know, the wine, and, you know, the, the, um, the area is incredible. And, um, you know, to bring my family up here, I can't think of a better place, especially looking back to, you know, where I grew up. Um, but for for the restaurant uh, world as well, for me, sort of working within a winery, I mean, it's not why I work there, but, um, you know, we're only open days. Um, so we do, we do five at the moment because we're still not a seven-day operation after sort of a lot of staffing issues and different things. So we're a five-day operation, hopefully going back to seven very soon. But um, regardless, we're only open for lunch other than, unless there's a, an event or so on. So it's very much one service from 12 to 12 to three. Um, and we put all of our energy and passion and everything into those three or four hours, really. You know, that's uh, – we um, – so for me, for a, a, a work-life balance and, you know, having a family, for me to be able to go to work at seven or eight in the morning and return at, you know, four or five um, is the closest that you can get to having a normal life as a chef, I think. Um, and um, it's, uh, yeah, it's certainly made a difference. I mean, the days of, you know, I, I think that the, the days of 15, 16 hours and uh, getting paid, you know, uh, uh, hopefully on their way behind us, I would say, but certainly for us, um, and, and the region, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge thing. And, and the chefs are happier. I'm, I'm, I'm always convinced that sort of happier chefs produce happier food, whether, you know, whether that's correct or not. But I mean, everyone comes to work, you know, obviously we all have our days, but people come to work, you know, um, and they come to work happy, you know, they're pumped to be there. We're, we're using good produce. We have a great kitchen. Um, it's a joy to come to work really. I mean, it's sort of, uh, if anything could have, you know, after sort of traveling around, I've, I've sort of found sort of my calling to sort of stay in this area, I would say. Well, it's amazing what you're doing over there, Dan, and it's an honor to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Awesome, thanks very much. 
This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.